Let us pray. Father, we believe all Holy Scripture has been written for our learning, and so we pray now by your Spirit to so open this, your word, that we would hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. How can an ordinary person like Abram say yes to this extraordinary call from God? Here in Genesis 12, as we read the beginning of the Abram story, how can an ordinary person like Abram say yes to this extraordinary call from God? It's extraordinary. Verse 1, Genesis 12, if you're there with me, verse 1 And God said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. And verse 4, and Abraham went, as God had said. It's extraordinary, this kind of willingness to give yourself over to this costly call of God. But it's even more extraordinary when we look carefully at what verse 1 says. Verse 1 says that Abraham's going to a place that God will show him. In other words, God has not yet shown it to him. Abraham's going to a place, he doesn't even know the destination. You know, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 verse 8 says of this moment that Abram, listen to this, Abram went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, this is more than... An extraordinary call. This is an extraordinary, extraordinary call. Abraham went without knowing. Going without knowing. And this is Abraham's life. Uh, He is Abram still. We'll get to the Abraham in part three of the sermon. um, Or point three today. But he's still Abram here. But this is Abram's life. Here's what God does again and again in Abram's life. God says, I'm going to send you out. Abram says, where. God says, I'll tell you later, just go. God says, I'm going to give you land. Abram says, where? God says, I'll tell you later, just wander. God says, I'm going to give you a son. And 75-year-old Abram says, how? God says, I'll tell you later, just wait. And then God says, now sacrifice your only son. And Abram says, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just walk up the mountain. I mean, this kind of relationship of faith runs so contrary to our culture that grabs a hold of comfort, control, convenience, I like how Ross Dutha, the uh, New York Times writer, the Atlantic writer as well, says of our culture that we have gone from a culture of daring exploration and innovation to a culture marked by sterility, sclerosis, stagnation, and repetition. 
I mean, I know this in my own life. I mean, I want to be Frodo from Lord of the Rings. I want to say, I will take the ring to Mordor, though I do not know the way. But in truth, what I say is, I will take the ring to Mordor, though only if there's a trip, plan, budget, and travel insurance attached. I mean, how does an ordinary person like Abram say yes to this extraordinary call from God? Well, we need to look at the call itself and see that this call, this kind of radical, extraordinary call is in fact the same call that's placed on each and every one of us who are in Christ. Every one of us has been called and is being called by God into an extraordinary, extraordinary adventure. How do we say yes? When we realize that like Abram, God's call is persistent, first of all. He doesn't just give it once or twice or three times and then you're out. He keeps persistently giving his call. But not only is God's call persistent, it's also purpose-filled. In this call, we find our life. In in fact, giving up our life, giving up control, we find the purpose that we've been longing for. How does an ordinary person like Abram say yes to the extraordinary call of God? Because it's persistent and because it's purpose-filled, but that wouldn't be enough. It's also the fact that it's a promise. God's call is always grounded on, hinged upon, built upon the sure foundation that he will provide what is needed. His promise that the son will be the way this is fulfilled. We'll come back to that in a moment. But for now, how do we say yes to an extraordinary call from God? We ordinary people, just like Abram and Sarai, first realizing that God's call is persistent. Look at verse one of Hebrews, uh, of Genesis chapter 12. Verse one, and God said to Abram, go. And you got to stop there and say, okay, what exactly does that look like or sound like? Is this a booming voice from heaven or is it something else? Now, here's what we find in scripture is again and again, we see different ways that God speaks to his people, calls his people. Often we see or hear an audible voice in scripture, God literally speaking audibly in space and time. And we see examples of that in 1 Samuel chapter 3. The young boy prophet Samuel, speak, O Lord, your servant is listening. And God speaks directly to the prophet. And yet elsewhere in scripture, we'll see that God also speaks and calls situationally. Think of Psalm 37 verse 5. Entrust your ways to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. That God is acting in our lives. There's things that take place where we suddenly take a step back and say, this is stranger than fiction. This is more than a coincidence. This is a God incidence. Something is happening in this moment that is convicting me that God is speaking through this situation. Other times it's relational. Sometimes we have Nathans in our lives, you know, that walk into David's throne room and says, you are the man or woman. The point being that God speaks through people. At times, that's where we hear the calls. Also, we hear God speak through what we call the affect or the inner interior life. We hear that nudging and that prompting. This is Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, saying, I am constrained by the Spirit. I'm convicted by the Spirit to go into Macedonia. There's something deep within him that just says, this is the impression and voice of the very living God. And of course, we also hear God speak directly through Scripture. 
Not just the words of scripture themselves, but our response to scripture. I love how in Acts chapter two, when Peter on the day of Pentecost is opening up the word of God, what is the reaction to the opening of the scriptures? It says that they were cut to their hearts. They were convicted deeply as they heard God speak through his living word. Or on the road to Emmaus on the day of resurrection, those two unnamed disciples walking with the risen Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. He's opening the scriptures to them. He vanishes before their very eyes as he breaks the bread. And then what do they say? Did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us on the road? See, there's all these different ways in Scripture that God is speaking and calling to us. But here's what we see consistently in Scripture. That his his call is not just audible or relational or situational or effectual or scriptural. His call is persistent. He keeps on calling. And it's important we recognize that. Because it's easy for us to think that this moment in Abram's life just was a singular moment. Like he was literally walking around in you know, Heron, and suddenly this voice from heaven boomed out, you shall go. I mean, you think there'd be a little more dialogue, like who are you, who's talking to me here? No, there's something much more profound going on here when you realize the order of events, okay? So look at Abram just a couple of verses ago. Chapter 11, verse 28, Abram is in Ur of the Chaldees, okay? He's down in Mesopotamia. And then he and his family move up to Heron, and then the the, the, the beginning of chapter 12 begins and he's called now into Canaan. So it's this big journey from Babylonia, Mesopotamia, up into Haran and then down into the promised land from this call. But here's the thing. When we read Acts chapter seven, this is Stephen, the martyr's speech. He describes what's happening in Abraham's life. This is why scripture interprets scripture, right? You can understand the depth here. Here's what Stephen says, Acts chapter seven, verse two. He says, the God of glory spoke to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. In other words, while he was still down in Babylonia, down in Ur, before he went to Haran, and then he called him into Canaan. The point is, this is not a one-time event. In fact, when you read the Hebrew in chapter, chapter 12, verse one, it actually says, God had said to Abram. How many times? Probably his whole 75 years of life. God had been speaking to Abram this call again and again. That call spoken in Ur that moved him up to Haran and then from Haran into Canaan. That voice that we continue to speak over his life again and again. I say this is important because we end up in two important errors. We can end up in two important errors when it comes to God's call. We can think either, if we forget the persistency of God's call, we can either make the error that we've made it or that we've missed it. Here's what I mean. The error of I made it. This is Peter in Matthew chapter 19. Chapter 19 of Matthew's gospel. Remember, there's a few more chapters to come. What does Peter say when Jesus is talking about the cost of this great call that he's, Jesus has put on them? Peter says, behold. Peter's such a bonehead. Behold. I mean, he's the patron saint of boneheads. That's why he's my favorite. Behold, Lord, look at us. We have left everything to follow you. Problem, Peter, is it's chapter 19. Give it a few more chapters. You're going to deny Jesus. You even know him three times because you really have not left everything. You're still saving your skin. There is so much yet to be done in you. Peter, the call is not complete. The call is not checked off. The call is persistent. There's always more. There are no graduates of the Jesus school. There's only students. 
there's always a greater call. You can't just have made it. It's persistent. It keeps coming through Abram's life, through ours. But also we can make the mistake that we've missed it. This can happen because we think, well, I remember when I was 17 and I heard that really radical call from God and I didn't quite step into it. Or I was in my late 20s and I really felt that conviction at a missions conference and I was ready to go and I just didn't quite get there. And we look back with great guilt and say, you know, the call of God has definitely been there in my life, but I think I kind of missed the opportunity. Is anyone tracking with me right now? It was just a few months ago that I was praying about the fact that I had not finished my doctorate. I had started my doctorate uh, back in 2000 and had worked on it up to, uh, or sorry, 2010, had worked on it up until 2016 and then stopped. I was seven-tenths of the way there. I was almost done. And something happened in 2016. Uh, I, I came here. And um, this kind of ruined my doctoral aspects. I just had no time. I had to learn how to figure out how to lead Christchurch. And so I just put it aside and I kept thinking I was going to go back to it and go back to it. And here I am at the beginning of 2023 saying, I guess I'm done. I guess I missed the call, right? And I was praying and I, I felt God convict me saying, Paul, that's not how it works. If the call's there, the call keeps being there. And so I called up the seminary and said, hey, I know this is kind of crazy. Like I'm now on the 13th year of what's supposed to be a six-year program. Um, you think I could get back in? And, and miraculously, they said, yeah, finish it up. Come back into the program. Of course, I'm on the board of the seminary, but that's another part of the story. <laughs> the point being... The call of God is persistent. You can't have made it, nor can you miss it, because he's faithful. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God's call is persistent. But God's call is also purpose-filled. In this call, we find our purpose. Look at verse 2. I will bless you. Oh, how we love those words from God. Oh, God's going to bless me. Keep reading. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you, Abram, and your family so that you will be a blessing. Verse three, through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is the call. The call to serve. And in serving the world around us, so we find our purpose. You know, it's interesting when you look at Genesis, chapters 3 to 11. From the fall in the garden in chapter 3, Cain and Abel and Lamech in chapter 4, 5, 6 through 9 with the flood narrative, and then all the way up to chapter 11 with the Babel story. All you see is humanity falling further and further into sin as they keep focusing on themselves. It is a story of self-interest and self-orientation and it goes from bad to worse. And this is the condition of humanity. When we get to chapter 12, all of a sudden God calls this ordinary man, Abram, and says, I'm gonna get you to serve. It's not about self, Abram. It's about serving others, being a blessing to others. And in this, Abram finds his purpose and so do we. You know, it's, it's fascinating. The Bible again and again, here's what we see. The Bible is going to tell us again and again, this sort of counterintuitive reality that if you spend your life and I spend my life seeking to be blessed, we'll actually end up empty. 
But if we spend our lives seeking to be a blessing, we find ourselves full. You know, it's interesting. We see this in our younger generations. For the millennials and the Gen Zs in the room, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm a young Gen Xer, so I don't quite understand this. But in the younger generations of our world right now, the millennials and the Gen Zs, my kids' age, there's much more interest in purpose in the workplace. It's not just about offering a good paycheck. Now corporations have C-level executives whose sole job is to sell the benevolent work of that particular corporation so that people who work for that industry can know, I'm doing something that matters and is valuable in the world, right? There's a desire to move from paycheck to purpose. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm just happy with a paycheck. I'll sprinkle some Jesus purpose on top. But this younger generation, they want purpose right out there, spelled out. And it's a beautiful sign of something that we are remembering as humanity deep within our spiritual DNA. That we are made for this. That we're made to serve, not to be served. Scripture tells us again and again, this is the way the world works. This is the way life really works, to serve others and therein finding our purpose. You hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, verse 8, freely you have been given, freely give. Or uh, to those uh, with great, to, in which great, greatness is, what's that expression? Whatever great, great things are placed upon people, great things are expected. That's not Jesus, that's Spider-Man. But Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, this actually holds up even in modern secular psychology. There was a study done several years ago in the Journal for Clinical Psychology 2017. An actual scientific study was done with young adults who had been suffering from depression and anxiety. And they did a study where they evaluated two types of therapy. The one type of therapy on the same catchment group was around self-image goals, all right? All about really trying to make yourself feel better. Feel better about yourself. And so all these exercises and activities to build yourself up, not feel so weak, feel better about me. And then the same group, they did a study with therapy that was selfless goals, compassionate goals. Goals were based about going and helping others and serving others and doing things for other people. And do you know what they found? Scientific study that those who were in therapy that was based on self-image building up, right? Self-image goals. They found that their relational conflicts increased and their anxiety and their depression actually got worse. And those that were involved in selfless, compassionate goals found their relational interactions improved and their overall well-being improved. Why? Because it's written into the center of human DNA that this is the way life lives. The one who gave life, who made life, in through we live and move and have our being, he came and dwelt among us. And what do we know of his true life? Philippians chapter two, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of human men and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. This is where we find our purpose in hearing this extraordinary call to give up ourselves and serve others. 
The call is persistent and the call is full of purpose. But thanks be to God, it doesn't end there. The call is a promise and we need it to be a promise. Abram needs it to be a promise because it's so far beyond him and it's so far beyond us. It's not Abram's power. It's not our power. It's God's promise. Promise to provide. Specifically to provide the son. See, for Abram, it all hinges on this promise in verse two that I will make you a great nation. Great nation means children, means offspring. In fact, God's going to change Abram's name to Abraham, Avraham, the father of multitude, or I like to say big daddy. Here's the problem. Big daddy is old and big mummy, well, she's barren. I don't think we should call her big mummy. Let's not say that again. (laughs) No one wants to be big mummy. But the problem is, it is completely impossible for this to come about, except for the fact that it's God who has said it. Because the call itself is a promise, a promise to provide, a promise to make it happen. And that's exactly what happens. Look at how the story lays out. Listen to the language, even. Who is the principal actor in the story? God says in verse one, I... I will call, I will call you. I will show you. I will bless. I will bless. I will give. All of the action is on God. As my 16-year-old likes to remind us on a regular basis, you're not the main character of the story. God is. God is the hero of each of these stories. God is the one at act, acting and God is the one who then does provide the son of promise. And because the son comes, now this promise can be fulfilled and Abraham does live into this extraordinary call. But it's the same for you and I. The extraordinary call of God is on us and it is too big for us. It's not in our power. The call, thanks be to God, being persistent and being full of purpose is itself a promise because it's so beyond us. And just as Abraham had the provision of the son, so our calling requires the provision of the son. For as John 3.16, our gospel text today says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It is the Son, it is Jesus Christ who makes this call a reality. It is Jesus who makes this incredible call come alive in your life and in mine. It is completely dependent upon him and his work. And we see that in that Jesus, in one sense, models this life. I mean, this incredible call to serve and to pour out our lives, to be emptied out for the sake of the world. Jesus models it. We see it in his own life all the time. You look at Jesus and say, there's the picture, there's the model, there's the model, there's the picture. This is not rocket science. Look at the life of Jesus. This is what this life looks like. But let's be clear, it's not as a spectator. If you're in Christ, even a mustard seed sized faith amount. If you're in Christ this much, then guess what? This hasn't been shown to you as a model from a distance. This has happened to you. Jesus has served you. We celebrate it every week at this table. This is our own story. We were unworthy. We were broken. We who could never have earned his favor. He comes among us, not just to show us how to be servants, but he serves us. Before he instituted this meal, John 13, the Last Supper, what did he do? He took off his garments, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. What did he say? 
Do you understand what I'm doing for you? Breaks the bread, gives us the cup, my body broken, my blood outpoured. He has served us. The Son of Man truly has not come to be served, but to serve. We celebrate this meal each and every week to rehearse, to remember that this is the model. This is the way he has made it possible for us to know what service looks like. We rehearse it because again, we're reminded this amazing grace, this amazing service, this is our call. But it's not just that he models it, he then makes it possible in us. Because of course, what we're celebrating in this feast is not just a wonderful play acting of service. It actually had effects because it was not a couple days later that he's hanging on a cross the next day, bearing the sins of humanity, everything that is wrong in us, in him, his body broken, his blood poured out, bearing the punishment for our sins, everything that is wrong in us taken so that we could be right before God. Our failures to serve, forgiven. Our failures to listen to the God's, the God's call, the persistent call again and again, forgiven, carried. The ability to have a future of saying yes to God, made possible. Filled with the Holy Spirit, born again into a new life. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this has happened because God has provided the Son. And because he's provided the son, this becomes a fulfilled promise in our lives. You can live into this. You will live into this. This is the call of God on your life. You know, I was driving up to Granbury Medical Center just two weeks ago. It was Saturday night, as many of you know. I'd got the call that afternoon from Deacon Travis that my wife had fallen into a ravine and had what turned out shattered her tibia. Three months, two surgeries, three months of no weight on the leg, probably a total of nine months or more of rehab. Travis calls me on the phone, Deacon Travis, and I hear my wife in the background saying, don't call my husband. And I'm saying to Deacon Travis, thank God you called me or you wouldn't have a job right now. <laughs> and so I'm making my way to Granbury and it's a 90 minute drive. I got a lot of time to think and pray. And of course, what am I thinking the entire time I'm driving? I am recounting before God everything that I'm about to lose, right? I'm, I'm losing all these things. I'm listing them. I mean, we're supposed to be in Germany today as a family for, for spring break. Like, you know, y'all are beautiful, but I want to be in Germany right now. Um, like we're supposed to have all these things happening in our lives. And I'm going through the list of everything that's being lost. But then when I arrived in the hospital and lived into the next couple of weeks we've walked through, it hasn't really been a story primarily about what we've lost. Yes, it's hard and it's ang angst-ridden and it's sorrowful and it's exhausting, but it's not about what's been lost, but what's been found. Already just two weeks in, it's what's been found. Because I realized so quickly, and I'm seeing it already, what I'm finding is, again, the persistent call of God. Yet again, here's God calling. There's a new adventure that awaits you. And guess what? It's a new adventure to serve. I mean, I used to think I was a servant. I mean, I'll tell you, before two weeks ago, I thought, yeah, I know what servanthood is. I did not know what servanthood was. <laughs> this is what we find. Again and again, God calling us persistently into his upward call. In the words of Narnia, further up and further in. There's always more, more service, more ways to see Christ formed in us and living in us. And I'll tell you already, 
as exhausting and as new and as crazy as is, I wouldn't trade it for the world. This life, now, more alive than I was two weeks ago. I can say the same for my kids and for Monica and I think for the whole community coming around us. But here's the point. It's a promise because I'm sitting there the whole time going, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Exactly. I don't know how I'm standing up here today. I know it's the promise of God. I know it's the work of God to provide. Provides through all of you. I mean, the incredible, incredible work of this community gathering around us. We're not gonna be the same. We're all gonna be changed by this. You actually pouring on the love for me. I knew I was loved. I never knew how much we were loved. I mean, just a side note, uh, you know, I got... This thing was Sunday night, like we're like 24 hours into this and I get a note from a member of Monica's small group um, who is telling me that they've already set up a meal train and I'm like, whoa, hold on. I mean, and they already tell me the thing's full. Like we got a meal train through the end of April and it's so good that they did that before they asked me because I am too well known for wanting to do it all on my own. I got control. If they'd asked me, I would have said, no, 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 no. I got this, I got this, I got this. Paul, you don't got this. And I just had to say yes, surrender and see God providing, not just through the community, but through whatever supernatural gifting he's placing in me and my family in this community right now. God is faithful. This is the linchpin, I think, of our call is 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Oh, that we could just memorize this and say it daily. He who has called you is faithful. He will do it. How does an ordinary person like Abram say yes to the extraordinary call of God? How do we, ordinary people like Abram and Sarai, say yes to the extraordinary call of God that is on our lives today? Because it's persistent. He's not going to let up. Because it's purposeful. In this call, we will find our life. And because it's a promise, it's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not about doing a pros and cons chart and evaluating whether you can get this done. You can't. He's made a promise and he's provided the son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to them that whoever believed in him would not perish but would have eternal life. God said to Abram, go. God said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will do it. And Abram went, as the Lord had said. May this today, afresh, be our story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.